If you're a mom, you're a superhero. That's right, own it. We possess a unique superpower of intuition, a sixth sense for what our kids are up to, how they feel, what they want, and when they want it. Yep, it's amazing. I call this mom sense. Oftentimes, we are Googling for answers, joining Facebook groups, or relegating to taking unsolicited advice from our friends when all we have to do is listen to that voice inside us. No, not the one that's telling you you're fat. The other voice, the one that seems to know everything when it comes to your kids and leaves you feeling confident, empowered, purposeful, and all things hashtag mom goals. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm a mother of twin toddlers and a baby, double the fun plus one. And I can honestly say that now that I'm a mom, I feel like my life is just getting started. On my podcast, I interview industry experts and real life mamas on their mom sense experiences, tackling topics like how to teach kids to meditate, what it takes to have the marriage you've always dreamed of, and how to master your car makeup routine. Grab your latte, that's probably ice cold by now, and take a listen to That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, everyone. It's Kanika from That's Total Mom Sense. Today's episode is one that should be most enlightening. Um, It's on meditation, how we can meditate as parents and how we can pass on our knowledge to our children, too. So one of the first times that I heard about mindfulness and meditation was when I came across an article by the Harvard Medical School and Mass General. And they did a study where they had two groups. And one group uh, was put through a meditation course and the other was not. And what they found was fascinating. They were able to remove uh, and lessen gray matter in the amygdala, which is um, which controls depression, pain, anxiety, and our emotions. So that was most fascinating to see the effects. Today, I have with me Jackie Stewart on our show. She is a meditation teacher. Jackie is fascinated with the human mind and understanding how our perceptions impact our present experience. Inevitably, through studying the mind, she began to understand the interrelated nature of our shared humanity and need for connection. With a master's in media, culture, and communication from NYU, a background in the fashion and entertainment industries, as well as being a certified meditation instructor, she works at bringing mindfulness to everyday life in a practical and approachable way. Jackie, so happy to have you on the show. Thanks, Kanika. I'm so happy to be here. And I also love that you referenced this study from Harvard because I think a lot of times when we talk about the benefits of meditation, you know, to hear about the way that it has, um, like, it's possible to restructure our brain, um, I think is really inspiring, you know, like that we aren't just sort of, um, I don't know, like, we're not subject to the way that we have either grown up or uh, the way that we deal with stress on a day-to-day basis that actually it's workable and our brain can start to take on different shape. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, if we're using exercise to strengthen our bodies, why not use mindfulness to strengthen our minds? Absolutely. And what I actually love about you even bringing up um, working out, it's like when we meditate, we are working out these muscles in our brain. We're developing new neural pathways so that even just like when we work out at the gym, we're you know, doing curls, that that strength is available to us outside the gym, right? Like anytime mm-hmm. we need to pick up something heavy and it's the same even here with meditation, like we spend this 10 minutes or 15 minutes practicing something in a, a slightly more structured way, but then we go out into our lives, you know, especially with kids, it's like we need to have these tools just ready in our back pocket. Absolutely. Um, and it's something that's become so mainstream now. Uh, there's, you know, celebrities that have almost glamorized meditation and they're actually um, setting an example for us. There's Katy Perry, Paul McCartney, um, Oprah Winfrey, they all are advocates of meditation. And I think that that's probably um, something you can attribute to their success. Oh, absolutely. I think I think having a practice like this just opens us up to possibilities in the world. I think it, it opens us up to some of the 
tendencies that we have in the mind, whether it be something like negative self-talk or things that can get in the way and really inhibit, you know, our success. And when we can do something like uh, bring ourselves to the present moment in a mindful way, there's just a whole lot more available to us. You know, even as you talked about um, at the beginning, restructuring the amygdala, when we start to rework the amygdala, we're starting to loosen up our fight, flight, and freeze receptors, things mm-hmm. that we might perceive as threats. And then we start to get back in touch with this sort of rest and digest part of us, where when we just stop and take a few deep breaths, that we can remember that we're actually safe in this moment and we can respond in a way that feels more intentional and more aligned with our deeper values. Absolutely. So tell us how we as parents can adopt you know, a first-time meditation practice. Yeah. So as first time parents, you know, I think there's so many resources out there now that have guided meditations. I think popping onto any one of those apps or even popping into a studio to just get some guidance at first can be really helpful because I think for a lot of us, it feels really daunting. Like Mm -hmm. meditation, I have to sit with myself, (laughs) quiet for, you know, 10 or 30 minutes or whatever it is. Um, so my, my one suggestion is to just dive into it, like jump into it, try it out, and however clumsy it feels at first, to just kind of stick with it and, and remember that this is a practice that isn't about getting right. This isn't anything that we're getting a grade for. Nobody else is judging us for how our meditation is going. It's truly time for us to just sort of give ourselves some space to settle down and become really intimate with some of the inner workings of our mind, some of the inner workings of our own experience to maybe even notice, you know, what our inner narrative or that voice is saying, like the way that I might speak to other people might sort of be unconscious to me before I can just take a moment to listen to how I speak to myself. Can you tell us the difference between meditation and mindfulness and if there in fact is one? Yeah. So what I would say about that is... The particular type of meditation I practice, I guess you would call mindfulness. And so by doing this particular meditation, I'm practicing mindfulness in a more formal way. So what that looks like is taking a seat that's sort of in a posture that feels upright, letting my hands naturally kind of rest on my legs or lap, maybe starting with a few deep breaths, and then just bringing the sense of mindfulness to what I'm doing. So that might look like beginning by just scanning the body. So literally taking a moment to bring my mind to each part of my body, like all the muscles in my face. Am I holding tightly anywhere that I can just start to relax as I start to bring my attention here? A lot of times we'll kind of hold tension in the forehead or between our eyebrows or clench our jaws. So I'm just starting to bring mindfulness to something like my body, right? And then as I start to relax different parts of my body, I can start to open up to my experience here as I'm just sitting here breathing. And so then in the process of resting my attention on something like my breath, quite naturally at some point, my mind will get pulled away and I'll become distracted by something. Maybe uh, a waterfall of thoughts show up or maybe one particular thought just really gets me going. So in a moment where that happens, when I get pulled away, I would just sort of acknowledge that. And sometimes even when we acknowledge that, there's that part of us that wants to do everything right. That part of us comes in and sort of reacts to the thinking like, oh, no, I'm doing meditation wrong or Mm. I'm not supposed to be thinking or all of these additional thoughts start to show up. So in the same way, we would also just notice that like we we create this ability to observe our experience with a little more objectivity so we can just say, oh, I'm thinking and oh, my gosh, look at what my reaction is to this thinking or to these particular thoughts. And so we're starting to develop this friendliness with ourselves by being able to notice that, sort of let that go, and then gently come right back to the breath. So what I mean by friendliness is rather than beating ourselves up about it or thinking these things like, oh, I'm doing this wrong, I'm not supposed to be thinking during meditation, which are all not true, right? Thinking is normal, it happens. But that we establish this sort of self-compassion and this friendliness and kind of understanding that, yeah, thinking happens and maybe even judgment happens sometimes. And maybe even being hard on ourselves happens sometimes. 
And I can notice that. And then within that acknowledgement, only then can I let that go and then come back to reorienting my attention to something like my breath. And then that process of letting go and reorienting our attention, that's what starts to build our neural pathways, right? That's what starts to create this resiliency and being able to say, okay, I can let that last moment go or whatever that thought was that I was caught up in. I can drop that right now and then just come right back. Just show up to what's happening right now. Is there a certain amount of time that one should spend daily doing this? Like, is there like a sweet spot? Yeah, I really appreciate this question. So I think as far as the research goes, they've shown that something like eight minutes is sort of like the minimum that we can really um, give ourselves to establish something that starts to create change over time. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that note, I just think giving yourselves 10 minutes, you know, make it a nice round. 10 minutes is something really lovely to be able to do. And what I think is really important to mention also is that if we can get ourselves to doing that 10 minutes every day, that there's a greater impact in that consistency than doing like 10 minutes on Monday, maybe skipping Tuesday and Wednesday, and then just saying, okay, I'll do 30 minutes on Saturday, something like that. That having just a little bit of time every single day creates that habituation Mm -hmm. of both taking care of ourselves and then just starting to turn our minds in these particular directions, you know, whether it's in a direction of friendliness or in a direction of just giving ourselves some space. You know, I think sometimes that's all we need. (laughs) It's just like have some space so I can just think clearly for a moment so I can calm down. So I can just get back to a place where I feel like I can function in a way where I feel human again. One thing that a mindfulness coach of mine once told me was that um, you should also kind of allocate a special sacred place to do your meditation um, because that way, again, it's like you're removing yourself from, you know, your familiar day to day. So I had asked her um, if I just meditate when I wake up in the morning and just stay in bed, close my eyes and, and, you know, do my, if it's 10 minutes there, is that sufficient? And she said, um, but if you create a space where you could have fresh flowers and quotes that inspire you and, you know, whatever it may be, but even if it's like a nook in, in one of your rooms, that that's your spot. Um, she said it's even more transformative because you go there and you know that this is where you get to just release. I 100% agree with what she said, that having like your designated sacred space is something that, you know, you do for yourself also. And that every time you even pass by it, it's it's like this reminder of like, oh yeah, if I haven't meditated yet today, it can be like this calling, like there it is. Like, let me, let me go and just visit with it or like check in and have a little, you know, a phrase that I really like or a thought that I think is really helpful is just thinking about meditation. Sometimes it's like having a little date with ourselves. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Can I just spend a little time checking back in with like all the intricacies of, of me, you know, for me, my formal meditation practice was so strong before giving birth. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like after giving birth, my mindfulness practice became way stronger. And what I mean by that it is it became so much more about all the other moments in my day and in my life and where I could bring mindfulness that wasn't so formal. Because I'll be honest, for the first year, maybe even 14 months that my son was alive, it was really hard for me to just find like this dedicated block of time to sit down in my sacred space and do that. So a lot of times it was changing diapers, right? And then just bringing my entire self to the process of what I was doing rather than thinking about uh, the groceries that needed to be done or what else was going on. I just dropped into that moment and actually just started narrating interaction that I was having with him. So like, I'm going to lift your legs right now. I'm going to pull this diaper out, kind of shimmy it under you. And so then by way of narrating the experience for him, it, it helped bring me back into my body right? with what I was doing. And then it also created this dynamic for us where he's listening to language, like from day one, almost. So it, mm-hmm. it really became this, um, this like incredible way of bringing mindfulness into different interactions. 
Yes, yes. Well, tell us about your entire journey and how it began. Okay, so I was first introduced to meditation in college. Um, I was taking a course called Leading as a Way of Serving, which um, I just think is a beautiful way to think about leadership anyway, as, as being in service to people. As a class, we went for a weekend to the Zen Mountain Center in California. And, you know, it was the first time Ever, I think that I had just stopped and eaten a meal in complete silence. I don't think it ever occurred to me to bring myself so fully to something like just eating a meal and then taking time to really contemplate all of the ways in which this meal is even possible, right? That people had to grow this rice and mm-hmm. these vegetables and pick it and clean it and someone prepared it in the kitchen for us and now it's sitting in a bowl in front of me that it was just such a beautiful way to open my eyes to this way of living this way of being and then kind of fast forward uh, I had moved to New York and started working in the fashion and entertainment industries and I had really come away from any kind of formal meditation practice I think it was something that I recognized as something beneficial and um, something good to do but just didn't make the time to do it. And I think life got ahead of me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, where I was in my career, I was just really unhappy, to be honest. Like there were, I felt like everything was going right externally. Like I had set all of these goals for myself and I felt like I had met all those goals and I had checked them off. But I thought each one, like once I do this, then I'll be happy, right? Or when Mm -hmm. I accomplish this, then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was just going down the list, but never finding that moment of, satisfaction. So, um, you know, it was like a combination of career relationship, maybe even feeling a little bit of depression on my own end and, um, having a conversation with a friend of mine. And he just said, I really want you to go to this monastery in Nepal that I spent time at. It changed my life. It changed the way that I think about everything. So, um, I think you should do that. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that sounds really amazing. I'll, you know, I guess I'll figure out like some time to go to Nepal. And he was like, no, you just need to buy a ticket and go because you're never going to find time to do that. So I I ended up buying a ticket and going to Nepal. I think it was like two or three weeks later after having that conversation. And I spent like three weeks in this monastery and just had my whole experience turn upside down on me. I, you know, I had my eyes open to the way that I had been living, that it was just so myopic. Like I, my focus was just, I felt like I was focusing on all the, you know, if I want to use the word wrong, like I was just focusing on all the wrong things. Like I was making all of these external things so much more important. And in a way it was like this way of bringing me back home to myself, like remembering my heart and remembering this connection that we have with all these other human beings around us. And I think it just kind of showed me that I'd been living my life from a very kind of cut off, separated, like thinking I was just this individual person Mm -hmm. needing to take care of myself. And that's natural. I think, you know, so many of us can relate to that where we peg uh, so much on the extrinsic Mm -hmm. and not the intrinsic. And we just, we forget ourselves. We lose ourselves in our work. Um, We get instant gratification from outside validation, especially in the social media world, you know, with number of followers or what have you. And, and you just get caught up, you know? Um, And then it's, it's rare that you take, a second and try to come back to honoring yourself. Totally. And I think even touching on what you're talking about right now is ultimately basing all of this value in the extrinsic, I think comes down to our our self-worth, right? Like if I keep Mm -hmm. putting my sense of self-worth outside of me, then yeah, I'm just going to be chasing things. And, And in the same way, it's like when we work through our thoughts in meditation, it's just noticing this tendency to chase after like the next moment or the next job or the next big house or whatever it is. And if that's our measure of self-worth, it's sort of never ending, right? So we yes. we just sort of take a moment to realize that for ourselves. And, and so, sometimes when we do that, there's almost like this deep breath that we can take like, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> all of this is not a measure of my worthiness. Like none of this has anything to do with who I actually am. My goodness. Yes. That is so profound 
tell us now how um, you met your husband and and had your son. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a funny story, the way that uh, my husband and I met. In our past lives, we were both models. (laughs) We were both fashion models. Yeah. Okay. We met on a job in Philadelphia where there were sort of five models on set and they had chosen the two of us to be the couple, (laughs) you know, I think for both of us, our experience in the industry is that you just don't go there. You don't entertain the idea of like dating uh, the person that you're on set with. It's just sort of very professional. But for some reason, there was there was like this intrigue about him. Like he showed up to set and usually, you know, in my experience, models for the most part are like sitting to the side on their phone, kind of minding their own business. But he showed up and was like interacting with the art director, introducing Aww. himself to the photographer. And I was just like, what a great guy, you know, like yeah. so <laughs> sweet, so friendly. Um, and we just like hit it off. We had this banter right away. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is at the time I had, I had created this idea in my mind that I was not going to be dating anybody like right. this time for me. I'm not interested. I'm not looking. So wasn't, um, just like, wasn't interested in dating. And what's funny is after the shoot, he had reached out to, um, a mutual agent that we had to try to get my number. Mm-hmm. And, and so this agent called me and just said, you know, Jackie, I, I know that you're not dating right now, but if I can like vouch for this guy and just let you know, he's a really good one. And also maybe encourage you to just keep your heart open because at whatever point you decide that you're ready to date, you're going to put so much pressure on that poor guy and and maybe so much pressure on yourself. And the fact that like, now you're ready, just go out with him. Like if it doesn't work out, you don't ever have to see him again. And I was kind of like, thank you for that advice. He's like my agent slash life coach. And right, that- right. There you go. <laughs> Goodness. It felt really organic from the start. I think, you know, we had like very similar lifestyles at the time. So we came together and then also had this shared interest also in like self-inquiry and mm. practices and like self-development. And, um, and so we just sort of continued along on our journey. We were married. Actually, today's our anniversary. We were married five years ago, which wow. is Happy anniversary. That's so awesome. Oh my goodness. And so what has been sort of like a cool part of our journey together is uh, before we got married, I was a really big proponent of doing premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. I just, it's like an incredible thing for everybody who's about to get married to do. I think you just have conversations that you wouldn't think to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was really resistant to the idea. He was like, I don't believe in therapy. Nothing's wrong with us. I don't want to do this. And so I was like, you know what? Why don't you find some al- like alternate type of therapy or alternate thing to do? And we'll do both. Like, let's try to stay open about this. He found uh, sound meditation or like this way of essentially meditating with sound as his like foray into the world of meditation. And What's so beautiful is it kind of continued into our journey um, and being a part of our wedding ceremony and now something that we get to offer together uh, as a couple. We'll do sound meditations around the city, which is just sort of a sweet way to share some of our journey with other people, which is really cool. What is sound meditation exactly? So sound meditation is uh, we'll use different instruments. So we usually travel with a gong. It's like a 36 inch gong. It's beautiful and big and powerful and emits these sounds that you would call um, their overtones. So like one strike of the gong, uh, an array of sounds. And the idea is that rather than focusing on something like your breath or maybe even like your body in a body scan, you let your attention rest on the sounds. And because the sound is so intricate and there's movement to it, like uh, there's something called a wobble. So you'll hear like wah, wah, wah versus Yeah, like reverberations. Totally, totally. So you you'll you'll sort of get drawn into the vibration, the reverberation of the sound, um, and it becomes a different way of focusing the mind. It's it's almost more immediate and tangible. Like our breath is something that can you know we can so easily kind of lose focus on, but if Mm -hmm. sound is happening in the very room that you're in, it's just something that is easier to place. Yes, that's so cool. Oh my goodness. Um, I love that we have so many different types of meditation to explore. Yeah. Um, So tell us about uh, the baby and what your pregnancy journey was like. Yeah. So pregnancy, pregnancy was wild. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, I think meditating during pregnancy, I don't know if it was the hormones or, you know, just part of our, like our maternal instincts kicking up, but I don't know that I've ever felt so connected to my body as during the time that I was pregnant. And I think a large part of it was because early on, you know, when I had just found out that I was pregnant, I was still doing like yoga, like I normally was and was like drinking smoothies. And I ended up, um, and I think for many of us, it's normal to throw up. But I think that like immediately after doing that workout and having a smoothie, I threw up and I called a friend of mine who's a doula and also um, teaches prenatal kundalini. And she was just like, you know, Jackie, your body's going through a lot right now. You know, like you're creating a human being and mm-hmm. probably working out the same way that you were. And, you know, it's winter time. You're drinking smoothies. Like maybe not the the best time to be having like a cold drink with all these raw vegetables. Like maybe it's good to just like take a step back and listen to your body and really let yourself kind of rest and and be easy. And I really took that to heart. I was like, wow, you know, I think I push myself in so many other areas of life that maybe I can just give myself this time to to just hone in and and get in touch with what's happening inside my belly. Yes. And I think that, you know, that power truly emanates. So I'm sure you passed it on to your son. Um, I hope so. You know, I ended up sitting two different meditation retreats while being pregnant. And to be honest, I, I think it was incredibly powerful, you know, for me as a as a woman to do. Um, one of them was a loving kindness retreat. And I had uh, the really great fortune to sit with a really famous meditation teacher named Sharon Salzberg, who is sort of known for bringing these practices to the West. Every day we're sort of doing, we're offering loving kindness phrases to a different person. And so for me to get to spend each day kind of devoted to, um, you know, like the first day I essentially spent uh, wishing loving kindness to my own mom. Mm. So having spent time doing that while pregnant just opened up my connection to her in a whole different way and understanding this lineage of motherhood and like womanhood and, and everything that's kind of wrapped around that. And then the second day I spent offering loving kindness to myself. The third day offering loving kindness to my baby in utero. And then on the fourth day, offering it to a difficult person who I'll be really honest, was actually my dad. And so it ended up being this really kind of healing experience to just set that time aside. And, you know, when am I ever going to have that kind of time to to sink into all of the, the different parts of my past and what's happening right now and how they all kind of come together? So it was really incredible. And if anybody has the opportunity to do that while they're pregnant, I highly encourage it. Yes, absolutely. We'll take the information from you and, and post it. Tell us how meditation can help children, just the benefits. On a more general level, it really helps kids get into the habit of focusing, sort of like focusing on what's happening right in front of them, the present moment, and really being able to navigate distractions in a, in a more helpful way. It also teaches them to stay calm in the face of stressful moments. So like a highly emotional situation, they still might get emotional, but there is um, like a greater handle of knowing that this moment won't last forever and that there is some part of them that is also not totally wound up in that emotion right now. Um, It creates really good habits for the future, uh, that sense of resiliency even that I mentioned earlier, the ability to let go. It really promotes happiness, um, which mitigates things like social anxiety and stress that I think can be really big factors for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, It promotes patience, um, even gentleness in the way that we might use our words or doing something like a loving kindness practice with our kids really starts to open them up to these qualities of friendliness and care. Um, And then it also improves executive functioning. So uh, working memory, cognitive flexibility. You mentioned earlier that in the Harvard study, it talked about sort of decreasing gray matter in the amygdala. What meditation does is it starts to increase gray matter in the prefrontal cortex, which is all about our executive functioning and regulating our emotions, which as you can imagine, would be really useful for kids. And so then just to kind of wrap that up, one of the last things that I'll mention as far as benefits go is that it improves their level of attentiveness and then impulse control, which is sort of around that um, executive functioning is being able to really manage 
impulsive reactions versus Mm -hmm. being able to intentionally respond. Right. Yeah, exactly. Their knee-jerk reactions and fight-or-flight mode is replaced by mindful thinking. Exactly. Wow. So how do we, in fact, teach this to a child? Yeah. So I think this is a really great question. And I'll kind of start it out by just offering this. So a lot of times I'm asked by parents, like, how do I get my kids to meditate or to practice mindfulness? Answer always is to have a mindfulness or a meditation practice of your own, right? So as much as we can establish that for ourselves, we start to model this for them. And so I currently have a two-year-old. I can't expect him to sit down and meditate or to even know what that's like. But what I will do is during, on the weekends, I keep an open door policy. So I'll have my meditation time and I'll even let him know. So I'll say it out loud. So there's language that he becomes familiar with. Like mom's going to go in the bedroom. I'm going to do my meditation right now. I leave the door open and I actually set out a second cushion so that he can just come and sit with me. And what's really sweet is that he'll pop in. And because I've told him that it's meditation time and usually that's quiet time, he'll kind of come in and he'll sit down on the, the second cushion, the one that I kind of sit next to me. He'll sit down on it for maybe like a minute and then he'll run out. Yeah. <laughs> and then he'll come back in and sit on it maybe for like a minute and then run out. And for me, like that's all I can ask for from a two-year-old. And also it, I'm, I'm keeping it open so that there's no stress around it. Like this, here's another thing that I'm expecting you to do or that you need to do that it's really easy. And like anytime you want to join me, feel free to come and join me. Right. So that's the first thing that I'll say about that. The other thing is uh, there's this really incredible a toolkit, essentially, um, by Rose and Rex. They have this um, inside the kit are these calm mind exercises. And they say that it's good for ages three to 103. And I love that. <laughs> the idea is that we can practice these together. Right. It's not just like now's your time to meditate or, you know, like it's something that can really be embraced together. And in their calm mind exercises, they have these, these cards that just have different exercises that you can read. And a lot of them are guided meditations, which I'm happy to do on here um, and just share one so that you can kind of hear some of the language that's used, kind of hear some of the ideas that are used and know what's, um, what's feasible for a three-year-old, right? Or, or any, any child within the age range of, you know, like three to even teenager that, that a lot of these cards use imagery, visualization, um, playful language even so that it, it's not ever about some like rigid exercise that we're about to do, but that it, it's all about finding the most playful way we can do this, making it a lot of fun for everybody. So Rose and Rex, um, they're like essentially flashcards that have the exercises. So they have this thing called a calm mind kit and it's this really sweet little bag and inside is, are these calm mind exercises. And then in addition, there's a little bean bag in there, which I love that they incorporate these tangible items. So there's a little bean bag, there's a little jar of like eco-friendly Play-Doh, and then these little wooden blocks that are different shapes and kind of have a smooth texture. So the idea is that you could throw this in your bag. And if even if you're out somewhere that you could pull this card out on the spot or you could use something really tangible because I think kids really, um, you know, like when they can plug into something with their hands, it suddenly becomes more immediate, right? So it starts to really bring their attention into the actual thing that they're engaged with. Right, right. And that's being mindful because they're kind of zeroing in their focus on that thing. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, Yeah, I would love for you to do uh, a guided meditation of that to give, you know, our listeners, the parents, an idea of how to guide their child through the meditation, actually. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so um, I have the exercises out right here. And I'm going to do one called wave breaths. And essentially, you don't really need anything for this. But if there's either a small beanbag around or even a stuffed animal, like your kid's favorite stuffed animal, it'd be a good time to go and grab that. And if neither of those are available, even placing their hands on their belly would be really good. I also like that on the card, it kind of sets up what this practice does. So at the top, it says deep belly breathing tells the brain that the body is safe turning off the fight or flight response to stress. So that's like a little note to parents, like, hey, this is how and why this exercise is helpful. Okay, so for the meditation, we'll start by lying down flat on your back and placing the beanbag 
or your stuffed animal or even your hands on your belly. And then if you have a beanbag or a stuffed animal there and your hands are free, you can go ahead and let your arms rest by your side. And take a slow breath in, watching the beanbag rise. Then let out your breath slowly and watch the beanbag lower as your belly deflates. So pretend your belly is the ocean and the beanbag or stuffed animal is floating on the surface. Your breath is making waves here. So breathing in, the waves rise. Breathing out, the waves fall. I'm just noticing the feeling of this breath right now, rising and falling. And continue breathing slowly in and out, bringing your beanbag or your stuffed animal for a gentle ride up and down. And then when you feel ready, you can go ahead and place your beanbag or your stuffed animal to the side. Maybe sit up and take a moment to just notice how you feel. Notice if any part of you feels like it was able to slow down a little. Maybe if any part of you feels a little more calm after taking some big, nice, deep belly breaths. Or even just connecting to your body for a little bit. And that's it. So this, this exercise, these cards, there are a ton of them in here. And they're just really helpful kind of for these on the spot moments, even if you notice that wasn't super long. And the idea is that, you know, we can't expect kids to sit down and do like a 20 minute meditation with us, but, but they can maybe sit for three or four or five minutes. And then I think that what's helpful is if we do these short moments sort of all the time, that that's, what's going to really start to build these habits for them. Yes, it's so true. That was beautiful. I, I think that it was just as impactful on me that it would be on hopefully my two-year-olds. <laughs> um, and and I, I think that it's just kind of rewiring how we think and react and how you uh, kind of come to appreciate the simpler things in life, like, you know, our belly rising and deflating from our breath. I mean, it's beautiful. Totally. And even being able to connect with our breath in a way where we are getting in touch with our fight or flight system, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's sort of like beyond the fact that it's soothing, it's really helping us on this like social and emotional level as well. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, when, you know, you have um, a, a young child going through a tantrum, let's say, um, is there anything we can do to help them be more mindful uh, and learn to let go? Or is that just not the time to do it? You know, this is such an interesting question. I have a two-year-old, so I can only speak from my experience with a Mm two-year-old. Essentially for me, what happens is rather than if he's having a tantrum, for me, that's not a moment to call in, you know, like expecting him to really do anything other than let these emotions out. And I think a big part of my understanding of his experience is also just knowing what he's capable of. Like developmentally, he is not able to regulate his emotions yet as a two-year-old. His prefrontal cortex is not intact yet like ours are. And I think a lot of times as parents, we forget and we have these expectations like they should be able to handle this moment in a different way. In a moment like that, what happens for me is I'm mostly, you know, I think it's helpful to do your own check-in. So as I mentioned earlier, you can kind of clean up your own experience before engaging with your child. So for me, I'll usually just start by taking a deep breath. (laughs) Like if I can just start with a deep breath, I already know that I'm employing my own mindfulness, right? Because I've remembered to do that. I'll start by taking a deep breath. And then I'll also try to step outside of my own experience so I don't take anything that's happening personally, because at the end of the day, it doesn't have anything to do with me, right? And I don't want what he's doing to trigger to trigger any sense of um, like my sense of worth as a parent. So it's like letting all of that go and really bringing my attention to his experience right now. And what's happening is he wants to help me stir the pot that's on a hot stove that is just not safe for him to do right now. So I'm needing to set a really clear boundary and say, you know what, buddy, the stove is not a safe place. You can come over here and you can play with your own stove that you have over here. And if he's not into it, it's just sort of sitting there and kind of like letting these emotions erupt. And I think for me, it's also trusting that if I give him the space to let these emotions erupt, they're going to pass, right? But if I create this struggle and start to 
interact with this sort of dynamic where I'm, I'm trying to, you know, like change his experience or give off any idea that how he's feeling is not okay. That I, that for me is where it would start to get a little bit tricky, but if I can just give him the space to let out these really big emotions, it'll pass. Now, what about um, older kids? Do you have clients or friends who have um, introduced mindfulness and meditation to their older kids and how has it impacted them? I think for older kids, this is just such an incredible tool as far as, you know, when we start to consider things like peer pressure or think about things like, uh, you know, stress that we might take on because of grades or even to the point where we're thinking about like success in school, that being able to engage a mindfulness practice, you know, maybe it's taking time to sit together with uh, your older child and just say like, hey, and maybe you don't, if, if they have some kind of resistance to meditation, you don't even need to call it that. Like you could even say, like, hey, let's have some time to just like sit and cool down. Like, do you want to just sit and cool down with me? Let's take a couple breaths. And something that I think that's really helpful as far as modeling, especially for older kids is as parents, being able to talk about our emotions in a way without judgment, right? So it could even be something like, wow, I'm really frustrated right now. I think I just need to take a couple deep breaths. Or, you know, I'm getting really angry right now and I'd like to be able to talk about this after I have some time to calm down. Right. So so that we are starting to actually model for them some of this mindful behavior and emotion regulation, right? And I think that that's where it starts to become really helpful for older kids because then they hear that and then they might surprise us and all of a sudden they're using the same language or noticing a moment of frustration and saying, I'm going to take some deep breaths right now. And it's like, wow, okay, great. You know, like it's just starting to get passed around. So one thing that I love to do for our listeners is give them some sort of tangible takeaway or action item. So do you have any that you can share with our audience? Um, something that they can do to hone in on their practice? The one thing that would be really helpful is to see if you can just give yourself that 10 minutes a day and, and whatever that looks like, because even for me at the beginning of, um, you know, like early motherhood, it was me sitting down on the bathroom floor before taking a shower and just doing 10 minutes there. So wherever it is, whether or not it's in a sacred space or not, seeing if you can find 10 minutes for yourself, whether it's in the car, in the bathroom, on the couch, anywhere, even if you're walking down the street. Um, doing 10 minutes. And then the other thing that I'll mention is how powerful this tool is actually of just pausing to take three deep breaths. So just by doing that, we start to uh, employ our parasympathetic nervous system, which helps us just find a state of not feeling like we're on high alert and threatened, but really start to relax and open up. So just taking three deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. And sometimes you can even invite your kids to join you in doing that. It could be like a fun game. Um, and something to do with your partner, too. Totally. What a great, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Just get the whole family involved. Um, I think I'm sure, you know, households that uh, focus and dedicate time and commitment to mindfulness are um, inherently more peaceful. So. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And I think that as many people around that can be modeling these things, that can be um, engaged with these exercises, I just think the more powerful and more normal it will be. You're a meditation instructor at Mindful, M-N-D-F-L, New York's premier meditation studio. And you're also on the app Journey, um, which is the first live streaming meditation app. Yeah. What is the difference between doing an in-person session versus uh, through an electronic virtual session? Yeah, so I'll be really honest. I think that they both have very different things to offer. Obviously, being able to jump in on a meditation session on your device through an app is so convenient and just makes the difference between, like if it's going to be the difference between me meditating today or not, and it's because I have this app on my phone and that gets me there. That's amazing. You know, I think that so many things have been created to support us because we think like, Oh, I don't have time or, you know, like I can't get there. So all of those things have sort of been answered for us here. Um, and there's something incredible about also having these incredible teachers 
just sort of brought to you wherever you are. So even if you're traveling and you have a favorite teacher, it's like you still have access to that person. That's amazing. Um, But then I will say that in the presence of a teacher or other people is incomparable, right? Like the experience of being able to sit in a room of other human beings and just hear them and feel them breathing, there's something so grounding and connecting about that. Like for me, it's a completely different experience even teaching, right? So when I'm in a room with people, I'm mostly taking my cues off of what I'm sensing in the room. Like I'm I'm hearing all of these deep sighs and I'm hearing all of these um, like shifting in our seats, like I'm going to take this in a different direction. So I can really kind of tune into what's needed here or what I think would be most helpful. So yeah, it's, you know, it's the difference between f- like actually feeling the connection with other people. And then maybe on the app, you would still feel that connection because you're amongst community members, mm-hmm. but it's just in a different way. It's, and I think it really kind of highlights the convenience aspect of it and how um, practical it can be. Right. And so if you could share a moment in time that you trusted your mom's sense with your little one. Actually, now hearing you uh, phrase it, I have I have one that just sort of came up to me in the moment. So I'll share that when this was right when uh, my husband and I came home with our son, Phoenix. And um, at the time, you know, so I was breastfeeding and colostrum was being produced at the time. And my husband kind of got in his head that maybe we should just go buy some formula just in case, because I don't know if, you know, when your breast milk is going to come in and, and it's just sort of like, you know, that's fine. You can buy it if you want to, but I'm going to trust my body right now. And I'm going to trust the fact that done beautifully up until this point. And our connection is, you know, like, I just feel so thoroughly connected to this baby that I'm going to let him do his thing and I'm going to let my body do my thing. And I think it was, you know, like up until the right before my breast milk came in, there was a little bit of like, you know, like we want to make sure that this baby is fed. We want to make sure that he stays healthy. But I think it was just that intuition to hang on a little longer and just trust that our our bodies are going to do their thing. And like nature is far more intelligent than I am in this moment. So can I just trust that. And I'm so happy I did because we ended up having um, a really incredible breastfeeding journey. It was challenging at first because he had a tongue tie, but once we got past that, it, it was incredible. So I think for me, that was my mom sense moment. Just like trust my body and my baby. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that you live by? Yeah, so a quote that's really resonated me for with me for a long time is um, it's a Gandhi quote, and so he says the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And you know, I think that that can sometimes be mistaken by like not thinking about yourself um, because there the language is sort of like losing yourself. But I think that truly it's about like even in meditation practice when we can come back and and really invest in ourselves we can give ourselves so much more generously in the way that we're able to show up for others and that's sort of what I take from that quote which um, just speaks to me yes wow that's so profound it's now time for mom hall when we share products we love so is there a product or products that you are just loving right now that you want to share with the world? Yes. So actually, uh, the Calm Mind Kit that I kind of referenced during the meditation is something that I'm loving. So it's Rosen Rex's Calm Mind Kit. Um, inside, as I mentioned, there are different tangible uh, things for your kids. And then also these exercises for parents to read to your kids. So that's something that I'm loving. There's also a book called Sitting Still Like a Frog, which are mindfulness exercises for kids and their parents by Elaine Snell, which I also think is good to just, as a parent, get sort of just to wrap your mind around the concept of mindfulness in a way that that's really digestible. And then she even offers some exercises that you can do with your kids in there. And then the last thing that I'll mention, which is less of like a branded product. Lately, uh, my son and I, I, so I've been having him play the harmonica 
Mm-hmm. And it's not for like musical purposes necessarily, even though that's like a fun bonus. But to be honest, it's to get him breathing deeply. And it's just like a fun way to get him to start understanding what belly breaths are like. So the other day we were at the pediatrician's office and he got a shot and he took like a a really deep breath. And I kind of just said like um, harmonica breaths, because already it's almost like this playful way of talking about um, this way of deep breathing. That's so cool. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, My mom haul for this week is the children's apparel brand Rockets of Awesome. Um, And they truly are awesome. They're um, by designer Rachel Blumenthal and you know she has her own jewelry line and fashion line so um veteran in the industry of course and I love the um curated like boxes that you can get um once you kind of decide what your children's style is and if they're old enough they can pretty much fill out that (laughs) quiz for themselves um you get you know these boxes uh of whatever it may be um apparel, accessories, and all that. They have really great backpacks for back to school. And um, even their jeans, like great price price point, it's just $29.50. So yeah, if you're in that mode of back to school shopping, check out Rockets of Awesome. Great. And uh, tell our listeners where they can find you. So I can be found teaching, as you mentioned earlier, at Mindful, which is New York City's premier meditation studio. We have two locations, one on the Upper East Side and one in Greenwich Village. And then also on the Journey Live app, I teach every weekday morning on there at 8 a.m. And I would love to see all of you in either of those spaces. Thank you so much, Jackie. It has been a treat having you on the show. And I think we all are coming away with this feeling way more um, mindful and at peace. So thank you so much. So how did you like today's episode? I hope you feel inspired to begin your very own mindfulness practice and encourage your kids to do the same. All you have to do is take time to breathe. And if you want to designate a special sacred place in your home, throw some pillows down and have that be where you meditate even better. I want to thank you all for listening and subscribing to That's Total Mom Sense on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. I'd like to share one of my reviews with you. This is by Jordan Stern, and she writes, brings out my inner mom, exclamation point. I can't get enough of this podcast. Kanika has made her way into my heavy rotation, and I absolutely love it. Well, it's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I'm really grateful for all of you who are listening and supporting me on my journey. Write to me at that's total mom sense at gmail.com. And remember, always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. Bye. That's total mom sense.